in 2019, when Netflix moves from one episode to the next in four seconds without you even pushing a button, competing for our learners' attention, it's pretty fierce. It's pretty fierce out there. We have to up our artistic game. But if you and I, you and I tonight, if we decided right now, we wanted the graduating class of Austin Community College to hear your lesson hard learned, your wisdom, we wanted them to hear it tonight. We could totally do that. That is what's happening in a medical education renaissance. The information is spreading like wildfire. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. What you're about to hear is a keynote talk I did at Flightbridge Ed Symposium Fast 19. Eric Bauer was kind enough to allow me to share it with Medic Mindset listeners. There are accompanying slides to this talk in the show notes at medicmindset.com. Although, I think the audio does just fine as a standalone piece. Because it was recorded in a big conference hall, the audio quality is different than usual episodes, but I hope the content will keep you listening. The central thesis is that I believe we are at the beginning of our medical education renaissance. We know that in 2019, there is a possibility of any educator reaching any learner in any location at any time. Think of the guests you've heard on this podcast, medical directors, nurses, first-year medics, 10-year medics. They are what medical educators in 2019 look like, and it's only the beginning of our medical education renaissance. Here's the talk. I have racked my brain to try to figure out when I first realized it. It wasn't in a single moment, but I can trace it back to a single day. We were at the Metro Atlanta EMS conference, and Tyler and Dr. Jarvis and I were sitting around a table in the hotel lobby, and one of Jarvis's papers had published just that day, like maybe even within those minutes. And he was so happy, and we were congratulating him and looking at his paper online. And with 100% sincerity, Dr. Jarvis said these words. He said, look at that waterfall plot. Isn't it beautiful? A hundred percent sincerity, he said, it's so beautiful. And up until that moment, Jarvis had been a data guy, my numbers guy, my, my beloved science nerd. That he appreciated the aesthetics of his data, the art of his data, was unknown to me until that moment. Later over the next year, I'd get to know Dr. Jarvis better, and I'd learn that he, he owns this book, and that not only is he deeply committed to creating and using evidence-based medicine, Dr. Jarvis is committed to communicating that science in a way that we can all understand. And, and not just understand, in a way that makes us kind of want to lean in and see what he's done. Later that night, Tyler and I would record an episode of Medic Mindset. Dr. Jarvis would stop by. And I assumed we would talk about all the typical critical care topics, the things you're going to hear about today. Ketamine and airway management, EKGs. 
And we did talk about those topics. But then, y'all, it happened again. Only this time, it was Tyler coming out as an artist. He said if he hadn't have become a paramedic, he would have liked to have become an animation artist for Disney. We've been complimenting him on the cover art that he makes for each episode of Foam Frat. Maybe you've seen these. He always seems to find the perfect picture, the perfect image. And he photoshops it. And there's always a little bit of metaphor and humor in his photoshop. And so we all kind of zoom in and look closely to look at his art. And it, it teaches us that just the image alone, it tells us the central theme of what he's teaching us. But it also captivates an audience. I'd pack up my mics, go back to the hotel room, prepping my clothes because I had a talk the next day. And that's when I realized it. That's when it occurred to me that the, that the clinicians, the medical educators, the medical researchers, like Dr. Jarvis, who are effective in modern day, who are effective in 2019, have access to not only their analytical, scientific brain, but also their creative, artistic brain. And I started getting really curious. Why is it? Why are they the ones being pushed onto stage, those that have found that balance? Why are they the ones being pushed out in front of us? Why suddenly? Why in 2019? And how have they found that balance between artist and scientist? And what is your role? What is your part in all of this? What is your part in what I believe we're experiencing? What is your role in our medical education renaissance? Now, if I'm going to throw the, around the word, word renaissance, I should, I should probably refresh about the real one, the actual one, the one that happened in the 14th century. It was an interesting time in Europe. We, they had just gone through the Middle Ages, what we now call the Middle Ages. They certainly didn't know. And the Renaissance means rebirth. And in order to have a rebirth, you've got to have um, a death of something. And that's exactly what had happened in Europe during the Middle Ages. They lost their art. They lost their culture um, because of... Um, tremendous plagues, it's estimated 50% of the population died during the Middle Ages, 50%. And what that did to the environment at the time was that each remaining citizen, each remaining person um, that survived the Middle Ages, all of the wealth from the entire population got redistributed to a, a smaller amount of people. And so the average citizen was actually more wealthy. And what they did with that wealth to communicate social standing is they invested in the arts and culture and scientific advancement. During this time, another miraculous thing happened. You know, we think of Leonardo da Vinci and we think uh, he was a genius. And he was, he was a polymath. Uh, he was in fact a genius. But there was also this environment going on that really allowed him to, to be seen by everyone. And what happened, historically, it's probably, it's considered one of the most important human inventions was the invention of the Gutenberg printing press, the world's first printing press. 
So all of these great ideas could proliferate across Europe. And I can't help but think of the internet and social media and what that's doing now to really good ideas. They're proliferating. That same printing press is probably responsible for what they saw at the time, which is the opening of the first public libraries. The average citizen had access to information in a brand new way. It was the original information age. And what came out of this uh, primordial soup, right, what came out of this environment was a really spectacular type of human, an amazing brain called Renaissance Man. And Leonardo da Vinci is the quintessential Renaissance man. He gave us both of these, the Mona Lisa and hundreds of technological sketches. One man gave us both of those. And I can't help, I hope you are too, I can't help but think of Eric Bauer and the Flightbridge Ed team. They found that balance between science. His science is good. He just launched the research branch this year bringing on researchers like Dr. Jarvis. And I don't mean to be presumptuous, but I bet many of you, what got you here, the reason you asked someone to pick up the slack at home, the reason someone's covering your shift right now, the reason you drove 1,000 miles from Texas, some of you guys, is because you trust his science, that's there. It's solid. But Eric also values aesthetics. Art. Look at this production. If I asked you right now, do you consider yourself an artist or a scientist, as a clinician, as a respiratory therapist, as a nurse, as a medic, do you consider yourself an artist or a scientist? You kind of laugh at the question. Ginger, I am not an artist. You're probably kind of like me. I think of myself as a scientist. And that makes sense in modern day. That makes sense. We just mapped the whole human genome. We are so scientifically and technologically advanced that the pendulum has swung almost completely towards science. But prior to, to recent, for centuries, it was understood that medicine sat at the confluence of those two things, at the intersection of those two things. The issue is, it, the art kind of slowly crept away, and we lost it but we didn't even realize the loss. It's just always been science. We didn't even realize the loss until someone comes along and puts art in front of our face. And parts of our brains light up. Parts of our brains that some of us left in childhood, parts of our brains that some of us, if your medical education was like mine, if your medical education was like mine, that formal education tried to murder that creative part of my brain. It was very analytical. Eric Bauer is deeply committed to science, but he's found that balance to draw you in. And if I asked him, and I won't, but maybe you could tonight after he's had a, a drink or two, if you ask him, Eric, are you an artist? Can you imagine how that conversation's gonna go? Uh, no. No, Ginger, I'm not an artist. And that's because the word art is loaded. I say art, and you think of the fine arts. You think of literature and sculpture and painting. 
You think of rooms like this. This is the, an actual art studio that I would walk by freshman year of college on my way to an art appreciation class. And see the, those bright things in the back? Those are windows. It was on the opposite end of the majority of my classes. And I'd walk past, because I was a science major at the time, I would walk past those windows and I would peer in there. And as a future clinician, I'd planned to go into medicine. I knew one thing for sure. I looked in those windows and I knew that that room was not for me. But I'm here to do this talk. I'm trying to, my goal is to convince you that art is for us in medicine. Art is for us. You guys know that there's an art to interpreting an EKG. At the college where I teach, we heavy, heavy analytical with EKG interpretation. There are calipers involved. It's incredibly uh, cerebral. When they graduate, they know how to interpret EKGs. But what I know, and what you guys know, is that they, as they enter the field, they will develop an art to understanding EKGs. That occasionally one's going to come across, come across their desk, and they're going to look at it, and it's not going to match the rules, the, the bullet points, the perfect bullet points that we've given them. And they're going to get creative, and they're going to have to think creatively and look at it with an artist's eyes. And medical schools have figured this out. Penn State is taking med students to art studios to teach them empathy and compassion and communication. The University of Texas at Austin has a design institute for health. They're bringing designers and artists onto their faculty. The University of North Carolina is actively recruiting artists as future physicians. Columbia University, they say this. They say, we're told that art and science are different. But medical practice is about interpreting very complex and nuanced details, the same way you'd interpret a piece of art. Creativity is an essential part of being a clinician. And when you look at the curricula of these ac academic institutions, when you look at what they're doing with art, some common threads run through, some common themes. Themes like the communication and empathy I told you about, but also really tangible things, like the observation skills needed during patient assessment, how to see. They're training their mental models of deep pathophysiological topics by asking them to draw those pathophysiological topics. Because if I teach you the, the bullet points of thoracic aortic aneurysm, it's really easy for you to teach me back or tell me back those bullet points. But to draw it, that takes a, a bend in your brain and a manipulation of that information. And the last thing coming out of this curricula being in, uh, or the art being in the curricula, is some of, some of these clinicians are reporting, after the fact, they're reporting that having had the opportunity to hook into a creative outlet is therapeutic for them. They realize later that that, that feels good. 
So I want to pick through some of these a little more deeply. I told you that I walked past that art studio. It was on the way to this class, art appreciation. And I assume we would talk about the typical stuff, right? Art movements, art history, which artists influenced which. And we did. But I was also surprised at something else I learned. I learned how to see. I feel like out of that class I got visual intelligence, and we're visual beings. The majority of what we experience in a sensory way is visual, and so no one ever really teaches us how to see. No one ever trains you how to scan a piece of art or to walk up close to it and look closely and then back up. And we need that visual intelligence as emergency medicine providers, as critical care providers. You need visual intelligence. There's a lot of data to process visually, very quickly. You need to learn that ability to zoom out and zoom in. Because sometimes your scene looks like this. And you scan that scene in a, in a particular way. Broad field of vision, taking in data, learning what you can about your patient from that view. And then within sometimes minutes, you guys land your helicopter, and literally within minutes, your field of vision is now this. It's delicate and detailed. And I think, I think I first learned that skill from Paul Cezanne. Paul Cezanne used a, a method of art called pointillism. He would take a tiny little, tiny little brush, tiny little pieces of paint, and put it on the canvas. Tiny dots. It's like he, he understood pixels before pixels were pixels. And you can enjoy it, looking at it like this. You can imagine this, this human sitting there with so much detail and the time it takes. And then you can also back up, zoom out, and understand his full intention and appreciate it from that perspective. These are some of the things that you can do just by appreciating art, how it can help you as a clinician. But what can creating art do for you? It can improve mental models. And it was a student that had to teach me this. After a decade of teaching, it was a student that taught me about this. His name's Willem Milo. Some of y'all met him last night. Um, he's here today. And to tell Willem's story, I need to go back a couple of years to 2016. In 2016, I was ready to hit publish on uh, a podcast. And before I did, before I pulled the trigger, I did a little research and I went to see what else is out there. Right? I wanted to make sure I was somewhat on the mark. And I typed in medical podcasts. And this is what came up. Jeffrey Guy's ICU rounds. Some of you might know this if you're really into podcasts. Scott Weingart's MCRIT in 2009. Look at Jeffrey Guy's, way back in 07. Apple released podcasts in 05. I found Eric. I found Faison Arshad's EMS Nation. I found Ashley Smack. And my hair blew back. I was like, what is this? This is creative. This is lighting up my brain. When I listen, I want more. My, my car in 2017, I suddenly turned off all music and just was sucking these things in. I was creating episodes, pushing them out, and it was coming in. <clears throat> in 2018, I trusted this science enough. I enjoyed the art, but then I realized the science was good, that I was ready to hook my faculty 
and the students into it. I wanted to bring them into it, what you guys appreciate. I wanted them to know about it. But I had a little trouble. I would tell them about it, and they're like, yeah, no. And so in January of 2018, I met who you guys know to be one of the, our, our true creative geniuses, Dr. Jim DeCanto. And I was telling him about it. I said, Dr. DeCanto, I can't seem to get people to hook into this. Right? It's so good. I can't, I can't get people to hook in. He said, well, what do you love about it? I was like, well, it's artistic and it's, it's, it's fun. It's more fun than sitting in a classroom. He goes, yeah, but like, what do you really love about it? And what I realized was that I wasn't just consuming it, I was also creating. And something about that, something about contributing to it and then seeing what other people were doing and that back and forth engaged me. And so he gave me the best advice. It's so simple. It's so simple. He said, ask them to be creators. The students, the learners, ask them to create medical education. And so that's what I did. Spring semester, I went back after talking with Dr. DeCanto, and I assigned every student in the trauma class a topic. I said, you've got all semester. One by one, we're going to come in, and you're going to present the topics. But here's the thing. You've got free artistic reign. Do whatever you want. Make an infographic. Make a video. Do a dance. So they did it, and they started coming in, and they were good. And the really good ones, I got sneaky. I said, post that somewhere online. I said, post that somewhere online because I knew you guys were there. I knew you guys were there. I pushed Willem to Twitter. I said, Willem, create a Twitter account. Just, just put it out there, man. That's good. People are going to want to see that. And what happened is you guys brought him in. You brought him in. And that's the first time I saw his art. And it started a conversation between educator and learner. It got a little confusing sometimes about who was the educator and who was the learner. <laughs> but it started a conversation where I would teach something in words, lecture format, and he would draw it back at me. And so we would talk about it. I would say, uh, well, when I said this, I really meant this. And he'd say, no, you said this. And I'd say, no, I said this. And we would refine, 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 refine the mental model. The next semester, I was off contract for the summer. Willem was in cardiology. Luckily, thank you, Willem, he kept sending pictures. So I'm on vacation at the beach, and the pictures are coming to my phone, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm zooming in, and I'm seeing what he's drawn. We keep talking. I said, oh, I didn't realize the right coronary artery branch quite like that. He was like, oh, yeah. And the, this conversation is still happening between educator and learner, he's about to graduate. He's, he's a paramedic now. And when y'all brought him in, when Dr. Ducanto reached out to him and said, I like your, your art, I like your medical education, I like what you're doing, you don't think I have a fully engaged learner in that moment? Willem is all in. Willem is all in. We need more education that looks like this, that looks like this. Podcasts, 
an anesthesiologist with a dance. Blogs, YouTube videos, drawings, conferences like SMAC and, and FAST that have completely disrupted everything we thought we knew about medical education conferences. We need more of that. And so, that's why I have a request of you. But for the next three to four minutes, I want you, you can, you can sit at your table quietly, you can talk with a friend, but I need something from you. Or you can do what I do because I'm an introvert, I just text myself. I want you to, I need your wisdom. Every single one of you, whether you claim this is part of your identity or not, are medical educators. There's always the new guy that needs your wisdom. So I want you to, th and what wisdom is, is, is generally lessons hard learned, right? And we all have that lesson hard learned, that thing that we tripped over. And if I could take each one of you, every single one of you, if I could pluck you out of your chair and bring you back to Austin Community College and sit you in a chair, and have you speak to the 20 graduating students, I would totally do it. I would, I would sit you down in a chair and say, tell them. Tell them. Because I want you to spare them. I want you to spare them where you've tripped. They need that wisdom. But I can't. I can't take you back with me. But in 2019, we don't freaking need to do that. What I'm about to say is going to sound like hyperbole. But if you and I, you and I tonight, if we decided right now that we wanted the graduating class of Austin Community College to hear your lesson hard learned, your wisdom, if we wanted them to hear it tonight, we could totally do that. That is what's happening in a medical education renaissance. The information is spreading like wildfire, particularly when it's good information, when it's good science. but I can't take you back. And so that's my request. I want you to spend, I'm gonna get a sip of water. I want you to spend three or four minutes just thinking to yourself, what is my lesson hard learned? What is it that ginger students, if I could go talk to them for a quick five minutes, what would I teach them? And think about the media that you would pick. A video, a chart, an infographic, a tweet. You know, it doesn't have to be some big, long, you know, earth-shattering concept. It can be when I assembled a syringe like this, that piece or whatever piece of plastic breaks every time, and I need them to know that. What hurt can you spare them? All right, I'm going to find water. Y'all are going to think. If in that process you felt invigorated, you're like, yes. I remember that thing I do need to share with the new guys. Go with that. You're free. There are very few barriers, very few barriers to getting it done, literally today. If in that process you felt a little stifled, a little unsure, if you, if you were thinking, uh, Ginger, like, who am I? I'm the, new, I'm the new guy. Who am I to teach anyone anything? Uh, my response to that is, uh, actually, the new guys have the freshest wisdom, and they, they, 
uh, remember what they don't know. And that's, uh, we need you guys. We need artists. <clears throat> In 2019, when Netflix moves from one episode to the next, in four seconds, without you even pushing a button, competing for our learners' attention, it's pretty fierce. It's pretty fierce out there. We have to up our artistic game. It's not enough, the textbooks and the bullet points, and even this, the lecture format, it's not enough. And when you think of being an artist in 2019, you also don't need to worry about paintbrushes. The majority of, a lot of what art that's happening is on digital media. And I want you to think about when you go home, you have no idea what this is, do you? When you go home, I want you to think about this microphone. That's a microphone. A really old one. This is Eric Bauer's first microphone the one he recorded the first episode of Flight Bridge Ed. He used this one. It's a sad microphone. <laughs> one man, one microphone, one story. That's it. He didn't try to do all of this. He was just sharing his wisdom. That's it. So when you go home and you're not sure, just find your old microphones and just start talking into it, or draw something, or tweet something, or post a photo of something on Instagram. Share your, share your wisdom. We need art. I'm going to need your art. You need your art. The last reason, there's hundreds of reasons we need art. <clears throat> the last one I want to share with you, one of the reasons I need art, personally, why I need the podcast. And I'm being bold enough to call it art because I think that's what art is in 2019. The reason I need the podcast, the reason we need a creative outlet is for our sanity. I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, the chatter starts. The chatter starts. I might get one or two minutes of quiet, but then the chatter starts. I'm replaying old conversations. I'm pro projecting the future ones I'm going to have. It's pretty constant. I've, I've been told this is a normal human condition. But the podcast, when I, particularly when I'm editing it, when I'm doing the art of it, I get a break from that. I get a break from that. I sit in my office, and I've got my monitor in front of me. I lose track of time. I forget to eat. I'm making progress on something. There's something that's it's challenging, but it's not so hard. And that state of being, that's called flow. And flow feels damn good. It is the ideal state of being. And we don't get it much in modern day. There's a lot of stimulation. The second reason I want to share with you, <clears throat> the podcast is a hundred things to me, but the second thing I want to share and the last thing I want to share Tyler helped me figure this out. I was having creative slumps. There were nights when, I always do my work at night. There were nights when I would leave the living room or the kitchen and walk back to our bedroom and my office is on the way there. And I would walk past that office and I didn't want to go in there. I closed the door, wasn't interested. I started paying attention like, 
why is that? Why are some nights I'm really invigorated and other nights I'm like, eh, not into it? I started paying attention to what my days looked like. What did that day look like? I started paying really close attention to who I spent my time with and where I spent my time. And I figured it out. I figured out what I needed. And it all goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. When you're tired, when you're worried about your base shutting down, it's really hard to worry about creativity. And, and his hierarchy of needs is a, a, probably a, um, a thesis that you've heard before. The general princi principle is that the foundational needs, things like rest, hydration, nutrition, have to be satisfied in order for us to be motivated to work our way up the pyramid. And look where he puts creativity. It's up at the top with self-actualization. And so that means, and this sounds a little fluffy, but you have to have really good self-care to get to there. And so the podcast became a daily barometer of my self-care. I get that that's fluffy. But it became a daily barometer, a daily report of how, how I was taking care of myself. This is why during the Renaissance, or prior to the Renaissance, rather, during the Dark Ages, that's why it was such a dark, quiet period for art and science. It's really hard to make art when you have the bubonic plague. We need more art. We need more artists in medical education. And in 2019, an artist is something different. In the same way that we don't think about, when you claim your scientific identity, you claim that, you consider yourself scientific when you're practicing, but you're not a chemist, you're not a physicist. In the same way that you don't have to claim that you're a painter or a sculptor, right? It's somewhere in the middle. A medical education renaissance is happening. You guys have already proven that you're supporters and that you get it. You're here, you picked this conference. And what I'm asking for now is just consider, just consider taking that leap from supporter to creator and see, just see what it can do for you. Thank you.